0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 39. Yodley. Yodley. Hello, everyone! We're now in the tail end of solitaire gaming month. It's going really well. I've had a real busy couple weeks here at home, so I haven't gotten much gaming done. That's no surprise, actually, but. It is what it is. So, so I decided to pick for this episode a game I'm pretty familiar with. And it's going to be another short episode, I think. Let me jump into the news. First of all, Fantasy Flight Games announced a new expansion for the Lord of the Rings LCG. It's called the Black Riders. This is a Saga expansion, which I guess means it comes in one of the medium-sized boxes. Generally, I think these have about three encounters in it. And then a bunch of other cards to play with. And... What's neat about this one, it's going to be the beginning of an arc to recreate the Lord of the Rings novels. So this is probably going to be a pretty big series of expansions, and it should be pretty interesting. Next, GMT has announced a new Solitaire game, yet another one. This one is called Enemy Coast Ahead, The Dam Buster Raid. This is based on a British plan to destroy German dams and basically interrupt their infrastructure. Sounds pretty neat. It uh, just went on their P500 list a couple weeks ago. Let's check that out. And also, GMT News, another GMT News item, they have just created a solitaire games page. You could go and browse their solitaire games. It's pretty small right now. There's about 9 or 10 items. And it includes games specifically designed for solitaire play. It doesn't necessarily include games that has solitaire variants, such as Space Empires. Next up, Victory Point Games has just released Infection by John Gibson. If you remember a few shows back, this is uh, I interviewed John and we talked about his game. There is a virus. This is a game in which there is a constantly mutating virus that is slowly wiping out humanity, maybe quickly. Your job is to find a, a cure for this virus and stop it before it's too late. And finally, and finally, Marco Arnaldo has a Kickstarter campaign to fund his season four of his video game reviews. He does a lot of war game reviews, and, and quite a few of the games' reviews are solitaire games. I haven't watched a lot of them because I, I tend not to watch videos on the computer much. But he does some really thorough reviews, and you get to see games in, in close detail. And a lot of his games that he talks about are solitaire games. So you may want to check this out. He has some some of the different funding levels, include, uh games you could get. Unfortunately, most of the solitaire ones are gone, but I did notice, I think, Apache Leaders on there, maybe one or two other solitaire games. I had more news, but apparently it got funded already. So today's game is Disaster on K2, which is part of the Disaster on Himalayas series, published by Victory Point Games and design, designed by Tom Decker. I've had Tom Decker in the show before, about a year ago or so. We talked about these games, as well as his other point game designs on just such as Circus Train and AD-30. Disaster on K2 is based on a specific climbing of uh, the mountain in the Himalayas called K2. It was in 2008. In 2008, much of the climbing season of K2 had effectively been closed because of severe weather or bad weather. So finally in August, a bunch of different teams were ready to climb and, and attempting the mountain more or less all at the same time. At that point, there were about 10 different groups waiting to climb, some which have been hanging around waiting for a couple months already. So I think there's just a lot of people intent on climbing as a first chance, and everybody's pretty gung-ho and just wanting to get it done and out of the way probably. I'm sort of speculating here. This is information I'm getting from Wikipedia, so I'm just giving a quick summary. But there are a lot of people ready to climb. The climbing started. There's There's a bottleneck climbing K2 in which it's really hard to ascend and descend, and you really have to sort of do it small numbers of people at a time. I probably or two, but I'm not really sure. So all these people are going through this bottleneck and climbing, trying to get to the top. And most of the people made it to the top much later than normal. The typical time to get to the peak is around 3 p.m. Many people weren't getting there until 8 p.m. and then still had to descend. So they're basically climbing down in the darkness. To make matters worse, there was an avalanche, and part of that bottleneck collapsed, or maybe all of it, Any of the ropes and ladders that had been in place were lost, and climbers now had to use any ropes they carried to get down through that. Many people didn't have a rope and were depending on the the ropes already there, so those people had to free climb down, apparently extremely dangerous. Some of the people made it, and apparently some of the others fell to death while going down that slope in the darkness. The thing is, if you didn't go past that, you're in a above 8,000 meters, and apparently, and at that altitude, it's pretty much certain death if you spend the, the night. So you had no choice. You had to try and get down one way or the other. So this game is sort of simulating that experience. You're, you're controlling one team of climbers of four possible teams you could pick from in the game. So your goal is to get to the summit and back down um, as fast as possible. And while you're playing, you know this avalanche is going to come and make things worse for you. So this game is a couple years old. Which means it comes in a ziplock bag. It's, um, it's eight and a half by five and a half size, roughly. It brings a player board, which has a picture of the mountain and a bunch of different circle spaces you move along. It also has a couple tracks to keep track of what time in the game it is and some reference charts and that sort of thing. You get the rule books, you get a bunch of counters, including climber counters and counters to keep track of their status and other things, and then you get a bunch of event counters. Besides that, you get a, a player aid card, which describes all the counters and things like that, and a, a glossary talking about K2, certain terms that might not be familiar to, to most people. So the way this game works is you start with 18 prestige, and the climbers are at the base camp. They're at the base camp space. And each turn, you're going to draw an event counter. It's going to have a cost, an event title, and, uh, a number telling which section of the path gets blocked. So the way the map looks, it, it's, it's basically just the path going up the mountain of little circular spaces. And you know, when I first saw a picture of disaster on Everest on Victory Point's website, I thought, gosh, this looks like a rolling move kind of game. It doesn't look very fun. And I sort of dismissed it because of that. But it isn't anything like that at all. It's actually really interesting. It gets pretty tense sometimes wondering if you're gonna make it back or not. But the way that it works, is a bunch of spaces in a curvy line, and there's there's basically one path up to the top and back down. Some of the spaces are large circles and some are small. All the large circle spaces have numbers next to them, which you're gonna use along with the event counters to to determine which space is blocked each turn. About halfway or just before halfway through the path, there's three large spaces called the bottleneck. Bottleneck one, two, and three. These are the spaces that are going to collapse with the avalanche. Beyond that, the path gets pretty simple and clear. So the way it works, each turn is you're going to draw a counter, and it's going to have a cost, which is generally between 1 and 3. I think there's a couple that might have a cost of 4. It's going to have an event title, and it's going to have a number telling you which of the spaces gets blocked. You can choose to buy the event for its cost. You you start with 18 prestige, and you're going to use those prestige points to buy it. If you buy the event, it happens, and it's generally a bad thing. If you don't buy the event, you put it on the avalanche track. As it fills up, those bottleneck phases start having avalanches and become unclimbable. If you do buy it, as I said, probably something bad happens. Um, there might be thick snow, which slows down the climber's movement. There might be a broken rope. There might be high altitude sickness, other, other things in general. The bad events tend to be a little cheaper than the good events. There are some good ones. For example, there's chocolate, which gives you energy, and every climber can move an extra space. There's rope counters. There's actually quite a few rope counters at the price, and the cost seems to vary pretty well. There's a luck counter, which you can use to add to to any roll or towards some victory points at the end of the game. There is also a darkness counter, which you can never choose to buy. It just goes straight onto that avalanche track. So after you dealt with the counter, the next thing to do is move your your team. You could either move your climbers or your guide. You have four climbers and one guide. And if you choose to move the climbers, you move all of them. They each have a movement rating between zero and three. There's only one guy with three. And most teams have a zero, a one, a couple ones, and a couple twos. And that tells you how many spaces they could move. Or you could choose to move the Sherpa. You notice I mentioned the guy had zero movement. The Sherpa can carry climbers along and basically help them. A Sherpa or, I'm sorry, Sherpas or high-altitude porters are two different types of guides. Your guides generally move five spaces and can carry a climber for two of those spaces and then drop that climber. And if there's another climber nearby, he could pick up the next climber and carry that person up to two more spaces. And can keep repeating this as long as there's movement left and climbers to help along. So your goal is to get all your climbers at the top. So a little bit, you know, each turn you're, you're alternating between Moving all your climbers and having the guide help some of the climbers along. You'll tend to move the climbers instead of the guide most of the time. Another thing you could, another thing you could choose to do is you could, uh, prepare, which basically means you, you can choose to only move one climber. You pick whichever you want. And then you get a little prepared marker. You put it on the half prepared. You do that a second time and then your marker gets to the fully prepared. After that, whenever you're in prepared mode, when you draw for events, you always draw three event counters, discard one, play one, and put the other one back in the bag. So it's pretty neat because it gives you a lot more control of what's going on. That's basically the turn. After that, you're going to draw another event and choose what to do with it, whether you buy it or not, and then go ahead and move your folks up the mountain or back down if you're already descending. Now, as you're playing counters onto that avalanche track, there's eight spaces on it. When she covered the fifth space, the first bottleneck space, has an avalanche and you can no longer go through that one. When it hits 7, the second bottleneck space has an avalanche and finally an 8, the third has an avalanche and darkness begins on the next turn. Any climbers on the bottleneck space when there's an avalanche on it die instantly. So you want to stay off that if you can help it. Especially as it's it's you're getting closer and it's fully enough. When darkness begins that gets pretty hairy because suddenly each climber can only move one space Instead of the normal two or even potentially three, the porter I'm sorry, the guide can also move and can carry climbers, but he can also only move two spaces now instead of one. The one good thing that the a climber starts its movement on the space that the port that the guide is on, then the climber can do its full movement. So it gets pretty tricky. Suddenly the night you know you've been going up and things are going okay and it's starting to get later and you know you're getting along on that avalanche track. it's going to be dark. As soon as darkness hits, you got to like try and get down. And if you're really high up in the mountains, unlikely you're gonna make it all the way down. As you're going down, you have to deal with a bottleneck. If you're above it, you basically have to roll. If you have a rope, you're you're better off. But you're gonna have to roll a die to see if you survive going down. If you've got a a rope, a three to six on a six-sided die is success. On a one or two, it's still success, but the rope becomes frayed. Next time somebody tries to use that rope. A three or higher is a success, but you remove that rope counter so nobody else could use it. On one or two, the rope's frayed. the The frayed rope breaks, and the on a one or two, the the frayed rope's still there, but the climber falls to their death. As you're going down, you can choose to to bivac, bivouac, which basically means you're going to build a little hideout and try and survive the the night. The higher up in the mountain you are, the less likely it's going to be to succeed. There's four zones in the mountain. There's a green, a yellow, a red, and then a black. If you're in the black zone, you're definitely gonna die. If you're in the red zone, survival's highly unlikely. In the yellow zone, it's so-so. In the green zone, it's pretty, pretty sure you'll be able to make it back to base camp. And there's also the lost or bio-back section, which is separate. And I'm not sure how likely it is to survive in there, but I got the impression it isn't very good anyway. So, so this is how the game works. You're gonna, you're gonna be start, you're gonna climb up. So you're going you deal with the bottleneck, you're going to have a lot of blocked spaces from those blocked ridges, ridge numbers you're going to get when you draw an event. So you're going to be moving and stopping and moving and stopping as you go on your way up. And next thing you know, you start having avalanches. The bottleneck falls apart. And now it's nighttime, and you got to get down. You only have seven turns in the night phase of the game. So it's not very much. So if you're moving one space at a time, that basically means you can go down seven spaces. Fortunately, when you go down the bottleneck, if you use a rope, you go, when you use the rope, you basically go straight down to the, uh, below the bottleneck. So you skip two, two or three spaces that way. The whole map is about 20 spaces long. So if you're at the top, there's no way you're going to make it to the bottom unless you've got the help of a guide and you're a fast climber. Once you finish the game, then you're going to figure out your victory points. Each counter is worth between about nine and 12 points, plus or minus a little bit, depending on the climber. If they make it to the summit, that's how many points they'll get if they did survive and make it back to camp. If they reach the traverse, which is about 14 spaces up on the map, then you get 4 points per person. So you can choose to just go to the traverse and turn back. It's a lot safer, but you won't get many points. Any climber that doesn't make it to the traverse or dies before reaching the summit is going to get negative points equal to whatever their value is. If they summit but die, then they'll get four points. So maybe it was negative four. But either way, it's, you know, dying's never good. So you're gonna get points for that. You'll get some points if you have the luck counter and if you haven't used all your prestige up, you'll get some points. I don't think I've ever played and had prestige left at the end of the game. The game is pretty hard, but it's a lot of fun. It's fun going up and dealing with each of the obstacles that come along and try to decide whether you want to move the The guy, the climbers each turn and how to handle each event. When you start drawing bad events, it gets really stressful. When you're prepared, it's great because, you know, you start having a lot of choices and you often feel like you're making good choices. Every time you, after you draw the events, if you're in prepared mode, you roll the d6. If you get a one or two, you've lost the prepared mode. The next turn, you're back to one counter each. So again, that could get pretty stressful. The game plays probably in about half an hour, maybe a little bit longer. There's also an advanced mode in which each of the climbers now has a special abilities. There's little letters printed on each of the climber counters and then you look up in a chart and they have different abilities. And some are good and some are bad. For example, there's an advanced climber which doesn't, which can ignore the blocked ridge markers during the daylight phase. There's a cautious climber who must rest after each time he moves. There's a, a lucky climber that can reroll any bad rolls. Each team has a different combination of, uh, character traits so each team you play feels a little bit different when you're in the advanced game and uh, it does make the game a lot more interesting a lot more you have a lot more traits and a lot more to think about when you're playing the guides there's also two types there's a sherpa and a high altitude porter and each team has two counters and each of those has different abilities also and those those are included whether using the basic game or the advanced game also one thing i forgot to mention that if you have a sherpa the sherpa only has one skill while well, the high altitude porters, the haps have two skills, but the Sherpa also has a, a random victory condition, victory point condition. And you, f- you draw a counter at the beginning of the game, and if you succeed in doing whatever that counter says, you'll get bonus points. So I think that's it for Disaster on K2. I really enjoy this game, it's a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed it, and I was fortunate enough to be able to play test it, so I got to play this game a lot. I have now played Disaster on Everest. it is similar. I think some of the details are going to be different. For example, that blocked ridges might not be in that game. There's also the disaster on Kanchenjunga, Junga, which is the, I should say here, the Everest was the first game, which is the tallest peak, then K2, the second tallest, and then the third game is disaster on Kanchenjunga, Junga, which is the third tallest peak. The first one was based on Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, which was about a, a disaster that happened on Everest. Disaster in K2, was based on that one disaster I already mentioned, which is, there's also a book on it called No Way Down. I believe in the third one, there's, it's slightly based on a James Bond story in which actually do climb Kenshin Junga. So in that game, there's a spy character. And if you have all the games, you could actually play a a campaign version of the game in which you have your team try and climb all three mountains and see how you do overall at the end of the game. So this is, this is a fun game. I think it's definitely worth checking it out. The rules are available on the Victory Points game website and everything, as it is for, I think, all their games. Okay, so next time you hear here from me, Solitaire Gaming Month will be over. Uh, I did finally get to play my game of Night Fighter, only slightly though. I hope to play it again, and at least try the next scenario or two. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert.com at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek List on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening.